Welcome to your shelf or mine. I'm Becky Standall, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Daniel Tate, Library Tech at the Longview Public Library. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Thanks. So today is our first show um, without Elizabeth. And I mean, I guess we've done shows without Elizabeth before, but this is our first one with like officially without her um and as you have done in the past you're like first on my list to fill in for her <laughs> so, well you know i i listen to the show so frequently that i'm i'm always in the rhythm of <laughs> how it goes um so thanks thanks for being here you're welcome on, thanks for having on me Skype. yeah so what have you been doing? I've been watching and, and feeding birds on my in my free time. <laughs> I've <laughs> I've really this this book I read for our discussion today has really kind of got me back into reading. So I've been I've been reading a lot and I've also been listening to the audiobook of Grant, uh that biography that came out a couple years ago. And it's <laughs> it's like a forty hour <laughs> audiobook. Who wrote that one? Ron Cherno, the the Hamilton okay. guy, yeah. The, the Hamilton guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's you. I mean, you start thinking about, it and you're like, yeah, well, I guess he did, uh, you know, help win the Civil War and then became a two-term president. So that's going to be a long life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then outside of that, just uh, you know, trying to keep up with uh, some digital projects for the library and, and all that good stuff. So uh, have. I'm uh, finishing up my library science degree, so that'll start back up in August. I have one more semester, so I'm really just trying to enjoy this summer of no homework and whatever is possible during the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> Good job. And it's like yeah. the first week we've really had um, summer weather. Yeah, it's starting to get kind of warm and uh, hasn't been those weird, like, overcast, cool, rainy days. So, yeah, mm -hmm. starting to feel like July. Yeah. Um, what kind of birds do you have in your yard? I have a lot of little finches. I have some grosbeaks that visit and some larks. My most loyal customers <laughs> are these scrub jays. I think there's four or five. Um, and I think some of them are maybe immature I don't I don't know if that's like bird they tell like they tell like toilet jokes and stuff yeah they're really yeah I'm always having to throw their frisbees out of my lawn and they're always pranking me they have like they're like more gray everywhere which I interpret as like they haven't got their like adult colors because the, the other ones have like blue heads um but they're around um I have some doves that come, oh. and I have uh, hummingbirds, and um, 
yeah, that's that's kind of most of what I've identified. I think uh, I have a little bird. I got a bird book, and I have a little hammock, so I sit out there and read. And then when I get visitors, I frantically try to like <laughs> look up what they might be while also being still enough to not yeah away. <laughs> yeah quiet um, but so frantic yeah it's uh it's it's really a, a race to <laughs> match them before they zip away but it's a lot of fun it's uh it's fun to just sit out and like listen to all their weird little calls and noises and um there's one I, I've seen some Stellar's Jays, which are really pretty. Like those are those are my favorite ones, but they seem to be more shy, so I don't uh, get to get to see them too much. And I suspect maybe they're the someone's someone out there is making this call that's really funny, and it's like a little it's like a little actual little song, but I can't figure out who it is. Um, and then of course I have my squirrel friends, and they. I try to relegate them to the front of my place, and I have, like, a, a little corn cob holder, and then I have, mm-hmm. like, a little picnic table-looking thing that I screwed into the fence, and that has a – it's, like, condensed corn, a condensed corn log, <laughs> and oh, it's supposed okay. to be, like – it's just supposed to last longer because they just go through corn cobs like crazy, mm-hmm. and then I put a – a bird feeder out there that I put like critter. So it's, it's like seeds and it's for some mm-hmm. of those bigger birds and stuff, but the squirrels just <laughs> ate a hole in the top of it. And then I see them like basically just get inside of it and take things and then leave. So I'm trying to at least keep them to the front so that the birds yeah. aren't like constant, but I do, the squirrels will like get on the roof of the little, covered porch area and then like dangle down kind of mission impossible style to mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly funny <laughs> um when i was a kid one of my mom's friends used to get like a like big jar of peanut butter and put it out like in a tree for the squirrels and then when you take it down you can see their little like claw marks or their like <laughs> scooped peanut butter out yeah i thought that was really cool That's i don't know funny. if it's good for them though <laughs> um, someone in my neighborhood feeds the Jays peanuts, and they're always, like, leaving them everywhere in my yard, like peanut shells, or, like, sometimes I'll see one, like, it'll stop with a big peanut in its mouth, like shelled peanuts. <laughs> At least I assume they're feeding them to them, and I guess they could be finding them some other way. <laughs> yeah, they just left, absentmindedly left some peanuts out. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here come all the J's. Yeah, we've got some, um, we actually haven't seen them in a while, but up in our, our family woods, um, some gray J's, camp robbers. Uh-huh. And uh, my mom had screwed like a little platform on a tree and like would like leave stuff up there for them. But they, like, they don't care about you or the dogs. They'll fly down and get your stuff. Or they'll take it, like, out of your hand or off the picnic table. Um, but, the audacity. Uh, yeah, the, they've gotten really spoiled and picky. So, like, yes, they want tater tots. No, they don't want, you know, grapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're funny. They're, they're like... like Critics of the menu they're getting. Yeah, they like <laughs> potatoes, like potato chips. They like 
But yeah, I don't know. I think maybe since the camping has started, like in the real campgrounds, they've abandoned us for more easy pickings. <laughs> Someone's got more chips and tater tots they're willing to yeah. part with. <laughs> Probably cookies and stuff like that too. I like the really good stuff that they like. <laughs> we try to give them like fruit and vegetables. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Dinner is dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's fun. Um, did you, did you read the Ron Chernoz Hamilton book? I did not. I, uh, I, I watched maybe the first hour and fell asleep and I haven't, haven't gotten back to it. Did you you make it to intermission? I did not. Wow. I know. We're all disappointed in me. They watched it twice <laughs> in the week and a half that it's been on <laughs> Disney Plus. And I, I just got Disney Plus to watch Hamilton. I was kind of, I mean, I don't know what I expected, but I was like looking around on there and I was like, this is all kid stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. Baby Yoda. <laughs> sure, I didn't ever watch Baby Yoda. Um, I've heard that that's good. I only watched the first episode of Baby Yoda. Oh. Yeah. Was it good enough to keep going? I, I don't, I, I'm, for whatever reason, I just kind of have a hard time. I'm, I think this is kind of a trope that other people have mentioned, but like, I'm going to try this new thing and then just being like, I'm going to watch this old thing that I've seen before. <laughs> I yeah, 100% do that. Well, like, I'll spend, like, 20 minutes going through Netflix. Like, what should I try? What should I try? I guess I'll just watch, you know, whatever. Parks and Rec again. Yeah. Or I'll just watch this old episode of The Office. Or maybe I'll watch, like, you know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I just have, like, a few things I'll watch. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's wild. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a, in baseball, it's like a pitching rotation. you got, like, five shows, and you're like, all right, it's time to call Parks and Rec out of the bullpen. And yeah. <laughs> I'll start this time at season three. Actually, I start most of the times at season three. Who am I kidding? <laughs> Ooh, you've got it down to a science. <laughs> well, season three, or, like, at the very end of season two, is when Rob Lowe and Adam. Oh, right. Yeah. What's his face? Come on the show, and I think, like, that's when it gets really good. Yeah. Not that, you know, the first two are fine. Yeah. They really rounded out the ensemble. I got a, a Barnes & Noble. Their Membership? Little, yeah. So uh, that's where some of my books have come from this summer. That Great. are stacking up and I need to read. <laughs> yeah. I was like... Thinking that yesterday, I was like, oh, I just should buy this book and that book. And I was like, I haven't even read the last four books I bought, though. I should read those first. Yeah. Or not, about whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, for me at least, it's like, is this is this a shelf book? Or is this a book that I could maybe give, to, like someone else would like, and I could give it to them or ship it to them? And that's kind of what decides it for me. Yeah. Like what you're going to do after you read it? Yeah, so. or it's like, oh, cool, I can just send this to my brother or send it to my mom or something like that. Yeah. Put a little sure. inscription in there, like like in the olden times. <laughs> yeah. 
the olden times. Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of like, I think the pandemic has put people like a little bit more in touch with the olden times in some ways. Like yesterday, when Elizabeth was at the drive-through, she was talking about like so, uh, like all of the emails and stuff that she got from so many patrons when they like found out that she was leaving, and she was like really surprised by like how many they got. And I said, I thought not only has she had like a really big impact at the library, of course, but also I think in the last few months people have been thinking more about like corresponding with people and um, reaching out and stuff like that. So yeah. I agree. Yeah, bird watching, letter writing. Yeah. Yeah, there are, like, when you go to buy, like, hummingbird food, you know, it's like, it is popular. Like, people are gardening and, yeah, mm-hmm. eating birds and all of those kind of, like, how do I use my time in a way that's, like, relaxing and also feels good? and Yeah, and feels, like, a little productive, too. Um, yeah, I planted up. Uh, I guess I didn't mean to plant a pumpkin patch, but it's back now. Oh. Uh, like around my compost, uh, but now it covered the compost. I can't put new stuff in the compost. So I just have like, whatever, it's a whole thing. But, um, <laughs> it's like taking up, like a big, like, you know, cause they grew up on the compost and all around the compost and now they're vining out like across the lawn. And I realized late that I should have, like, been trimming them, I guess. I don't. And I went out there, like, yesterday, and I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, no, I'm not. It's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to let it do. But it's, like, started, like, climbing the fence to the neighbor's yard. Oh. (laughs) Trim it there. But they're, like, (laughs) yeah, there's, like, a, they have, like, a blackberry problem, like, right in the corner. I'm like, would my, my pumpkin kill that blackberry would oh. it just like strangle it that would be cool but it's like one of those books that the like shark versus tiger <laughs> blackberry <laughs> which will survive yeah i want to know <laughs> yeah um so i might end up with just a ton of pumpkins this fall we'll see there's like i've kind of poked around in there and i saw one that's like doing really well, but some, um, I don't know. Oh, well, we could have a staff pumpkin carving contest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's like two of the plants are like Halloween style pumpkins and three of them are pie pumpkins that I grew okay. from seed library seed. Wow. So this week, we're going to be talking about a book with a horse on the cover, which is a category you came up with for a 2020 reading <laughs> challenge, which is why um, I thought it would be good to do with you. Yeah. Um, what did, made you pick that as the topic? I, I was just trying to think of something that would seem funny, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, Oh, this kind of opens up every genre, really. Like, you can find horses on so many covers of things. So it would give people, I thought, they might initially be like, ugh, but then be like, oh, I kind of have a lot of latitude to pick <laughs> yeah. the genre. And then there's, there's of course, like, really obvious if you've never read Black Beauty or War Horse, isn't that one? Mm-hmm. There's, there's like a, there's a bunch of 
I don't need to tell you. Yeah, there's a bunch of famous horse fucks. Or like Sea Biscuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sea Biscuit. I never read Sea Biscuit. Did you? Uh uh. You watched the movie? I didn't. What? Are you a big Tobey Maguire fan? I'm not. I don't know why I thought that. I have seen Daniel, big Tobey Maguire fan. Yeah, I have. I did see all of the Tobey Maguire Spider Spider Man (laughs) movie. Spider Man, but like, isn't Tobey Maguire in a movie that's like your favorite movie? Mm, I don't. I mean, I like the movie Pleasantville. Ah, that's Um, a good one. Yeah, and he's in. I have that on VHS. He is in This Boy's Life, and that's one of my favorite movies. That's probably why I thought. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah, I, I, I'm not even. One of your favorite actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the Cider House Rules. I. Uh, oh, but... that was good. Cider House Rules is a good movie. He's in some good stuff. I'll. He he deserves his due. Didn't, wasn't he in, um, was he in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. That's, that movie was good. That's a really good book, too. The book is better. But the movie's uh, pretty good. You'd like it. Oh. Like, yeah, I, I really don't remember anything from it, so. I think John Cusack's in that movie. There's a lot of people in that movie, yeah. That's true. That, mo- that movie, I guess not really the movie. The book really made me want to go to visit savannah that's where it takes place and like the the city is like kind of a character in the, in the book i never have gone so you read tell me about the book you read for your book with a horse on the cover yeah so i when i knew that i was going to do this and i was really i i started a few books and just couldn't make it past like 50 pages like couldn't couldn't mm-hmm. get sucked in and in that mindset and so i was like well i'm, I'm gonna pick something this is kind of short and something that I'm pretty sure I'll enjoy. So I chose to read The Red Pony by John Steinbeck, which it turns out is a collection of four stories. They're they're all they all involve the same characters, but they're they're you could pretty much read each story on its own. I never read The Red Pony. Tell me more. Yeah, so um The Red Pony, it's it primarily centers on this little boy named Jody Tiflin, and it's the same era as pretty much every Steinbeck thing. So it's like, you know, depression, and um, it's this family just has a farm, and it's uh, this this little boy and his mom and dad, and then this uh, this ranch hand named Billy Buck, and his parents are pretty stern, and he has... A, kind of a closer relationship with Billy Buck, who's just this, this kind of good old rancher guy, and he's um, really good with animals and knows everything about horses. And so Jody kind of lionizes him, you know, is like, oh, Billy can do this and that, and he's indispensable kind of thing. And so the four stories, uh, the first one is about a red pony where um, Jody gets – his his dad gets a red pony for him and it's this this kind of thing where Jody is <laughs> he's like not <laughs> he's not a good kid like he's he's a kid but he it 
and it's in true like kind of Steinbeck fashion. It's like Jody is kind of capable of like cruelty, like he's mean to animals and stuff, and he like mm-hmm. likes tricking the dogs and like get some they're like snouts caught in rat traps and stuff so he like has these yeah like these obnoxious downright cruel and it's like you can tell it's like he's he doesn't really know any better and also like he's a bored kid um but then he also like when he gets this red pony he's like very uh, active about taking care of the pony and he, he like goes above and beyond you know, like brushing it and caring for it. And so he has like this mission and he, he really wants to like show the pony off to his school friends and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and it makes him really anxious to do his chores so he can be with the pony and spoilers. I'm just going to give spoilers for <laughs> if I can. Is the spoil. pony going to be okay? Pony is not okay. Um, he, yeah, Pony gets a uh, gets sick. Um, the the book alludes to the it's because the pony is left out in the rain and gets a cold, and then the cold develops into this wild and worse sickness, and it it like fills its lungs with fluid, and and Billy Buck has to cut a hole in its neck or just, yeah, just this like gross kind of horse surgery stuff. Like um, a tracheotomy? Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on, but I knew it wasn't good. And it was like, Billy Buck kept being like, Oh, well, I'm going to do this and he'll be fine. Don't you worry. And he was, but you could tell he was not, he didn't feel good about the, the ponies. Um, and here are the outfit. birds at your house. Oh yeah, they're two little finches on the fence, <laughs> listening to the podcast. Yeah. And so, and the eventually the the pony uh, gets out and leaves, and Jody wakes up and chases after it and finds it, and it is it's it has died, and there's these vultures there, and Jody, like, attacks one of the vultures and kills it. Jeez. Um, yeah, and then there's this sort of, he's kind of mean to birds <laughs> in the other stories. So that's that's the first story. And then the second one is about this this old man named Gitano shows up on their ranch one day, and I believe he's he's Mexican, and he, he doesn't speak much to begin with and it just sort of the impression that he doesn't speak a lot of English either but he's telling them that he's from like he was born at that ranch like on that land and mm-hmm. and he's saying that he wants to be there and they're like no this Jody's dad is like no you have to leave we don't we can't feed you we can't bring you on and he's like I this is my home like I was born here kind of deal and so they they take care of him, and over the course of one night, they're like, "Okay, well, we'll feed you, but then you you have to leave tomorrow." And he he helps them out a little bit on the on the ranch, and Jody is real curious about him, and he has they they have a little bunkhouse they set him up at, and Jody kind of sneaks over to visit him and notices he has this big saber that he's polishing. And he seems kind of cool. uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Jody's very interested in the saber, but Gitano doesn't really want to talk about it for some reason. And then they they also Gitano is like helping them out and there's this old horse that Jody's dad can't he like refuses to put down and he's just he's everyone's kind of saying like that horse is no good, it can't work anymore. And he's has this attitude like, yeah, but what do you he, he was a good horse and he deserves to enjoy not working and just being a horse now. His retirement. Yeah. And the that story ends with everyone wakes up the next morning and Gitano is gone and Gitano has taken the old horse mm-hmm. and has just fled into the mountains. That story started with Jody wondering about the mountains and like what's in them and what's beyond them. And no one really knew or just like, Oh, it's just bears. Don't worry about that. So this is kind of like Gitano leaves and disappears into the mountains. And then the third story is, (laughs) this is like, it's the most Steinbeck of what I remember reading in like high school and stuff. And this one is Jody. Jody's dad is going to pay for, one of his horses to have another rancher stud so that his horse can have a, a colt and he's going to give that colt to Jody. And so he has Jody take Make up for losing the pony. Yeah. It's, it's kind of implied that he wants them to have another, another chance at having a horse. And so he has Jody take the mare over to the rancher and then they meet up with the other horse and stuff happens. Yeah. yeah, birds and the bees and <laughs> um and then he comes back and and Billy Buck is telling him like now this isn't going to happen <laughs> very quickly. This is going to be a long time before you see this cult. And Jody's kind of like, "Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for this cult. I I will wait as long as I need to." And so he has to take care of that mare as part of his thing is um, making sure that it's healthy and gets enough to eat and brushing it and all that kind of stuff. And it finally approaches when the cult is going to be born. And he, Jody has all these questions for Billy Buck about how it's going to happen. He makes, because of the, the red pony, he makes Billy Buck promise him that nothing bad is going to happen this time. And so Billy Buck is like, okay, I promise you this is, you're going to have this cult no matter what. And that story ends with the um, the mayor goes into labor, and then Billy Buck is like, this isn't right. The cult's the wrong way. Um, and so, yeah, he, he is yelling at Jody to leave, and Jody won't leave. And so Billy Buck ends up performing a cesarean... <laughs> <laughs> on the mayor to deliver the cult and kills the mayor in the process. But it's just sort of like, here's your cult. You know, he has that kind of like, mm-hmm. to, he's, he's so upset that he promised to deliver this cult yeah. that he had to do this. And then it also kind of ends with Jody being like, he can't even focus on being happy. He got this cult. Cause he saw what had to happen to get that cult. Mm-hmm. And then the last story is about, Jody's grandfather comes to visit and his grandfather is 
was a leader in the westward expansion. So he was like the leader of a big um, wagon train. Yeah, he was the the leader of a wagon train, and his Jody's dad doesn't he doesn't really like because it's it's um, it's Jody's mom's father. Um, so Jody's dad doesn't really like him because he says that all he does is tell stories about the wagon train, <laughs> and he's sick. He's like, I've heard all those stories thousands of times. That's all he talks about. I don't want it. And so when he comes to visit and Jody's really excited and Jody wants to hear all these stories. But as, as things go along, Jody's dad keeps being like kind of rude and sarcastic. And anytime he's like, did I ever tell you about, he interjects mm-hmm. with some dismissive or, you know, like only about a million times kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, the next morning, his Jody's mom is is telling Jody's dad to to be nicer and to be polite and to be respectful. And Jody's dad has this kind of outburst about, "I'm like I I'm it's enough that he's here visiting. I don't have to listen to this. Like everyone's sick of hearing these stories, kind of thing." And meanwhile, the grandpa was just about to enter the kitchen. And so he heard all of that. And so he comes in and he's sort of like, Oh, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I have told these too many times and I should stop. And then he like gets real sad. And so the Jody finds him. And I think Jody wanted to like kill mice that day or something. And his grandpa didn't really want to. And Grandpa, come kill some mice. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was like, he found a stick, and he was like <laughs> practicing. Um, and he's he's talking to to his grandpa, and he he's kind of prodding him to tell a story. And his his grandpa just sort of breaks down and says, you know, like that's all he had. Like for all his life, it was just driving this wagon train west, mm-hmm. and they didn't know what they were going to encounter, but they just knew that once they hit the sea that they would be done. And he, he just kind of reflects on like, maybe, maybe those stories don't need to be told anymore kind of thing. Um, and then Jody, uh, it ends with Jody being like, would you like a, gr- a glass of lemonade? And he says, yes. And so Jody goes in and asks his mom if he can make lemonade. And, um, she says, well, who's who's the lemonade for and he says it's for his grandpa and she says something <laughs> like there's <laughs> you can go get like the lemons from the freezer thing and then Jody implies that he's not going to make any for himself he just wants to make it for his grandpa so there's a sort of like you know he's he understands his grandpa and he understands that he's sad and um he's trying to to do something that's nice just for grandpa which for Jody, the little yeah. <laughs> rat killer, is like a kind of a a, a little character moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so those are the the four stories. Um, and it's it's if you like Steinbeck, it's you know what you're in for. It's that it's very kind of plain spoken writing, and um, you know you can read into all these little moments about things, and it's it did like you were saying earlier about like people 
the olden times and like the pandemic, it did kind of make me think about that of like people getting chickens and stuff. Cause that's like all these ranch chores and, and like birds and animals and people's experience, like trying to live off the land and being dependent on these animals and it. So yeah, it just kind of made me reflect on that and, that was good. It was that, yeah, mostly sad <laughs> yeah. stories, but that's, I mean, that's kind of par for the course with, with Steinbeck. It's, it's usually tips towards being sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I haven't read a, a lot of his stuff. Like, you know, I read like the Pearl when I was in middle school. And of course we had to read like of mice and men. And then I read East of Eden. That was like the first, book I read after college that I could like it's been like years since I'd like chosen the book that I was going to read um and I did like a lot so I could study English in college so I did a lot of like not finishing books um or like you know we just read like parts of them for you know, like a million liter- literature surveys and that was like finished college and I was like now I can read what I want and that was the first book I read and finished and I loved it but also you made me think of chickens. My, I have some neighbors that got chickens during this whole thing, and one of them has recently grown into a rooster. Does <laughs> so. the rooster know what time it is to begin? <laughs> um, it's mostly like a noon crower so far. Oh. Yeah. So oh. like kind of at this time of day, it'll be like. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Lunchtime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you read The Grapes of Wrath? No, that's when I started. I, I haven't tried to read it for a long time. I'm better at finishing books. Well, I guess not in the last few months, but over the last, like, you know, many years. Um, but I haven't ever finished that one. I know I tried to read East of Eden and for whatever reason did not get very far which isn't surprising. <laughs> um, but yeah, Grapes of Wrath is the one I, I I know I read of Mice and Men in freshman year, and then Grapes of Wrath was junior year. And that that one really sucked me in um, for whatever reason. But yeah, good good storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for for East of Eden, that, like the, the family drama is what, you know, with the brothers and the betrayal and the, yeah. like, long <laughs> uh, decades of all of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, I should reread that sometime. I I I should read it. I I I read enough to know. Yeah, that it's like this. Fa- it starts early in this family and then it <laughs> kind of spirals out. Yeah, I I'm sure I would enjoy it now and and be able to to cruise through it. What did you read? The Add a Horse on the Cover. I read a romance novel called bringing down the duke so yeah like kind of what you were talking about how it's like oh a horse that could be any old book in any genre um and i had this uh bringing down the duke by evie dunmore and it's um it had been on a list at the end of last year um i think it was publishers weekly's like best romance novels of 2019 and so i was like i'm gonna read all of those i haven't but i've read a few and this is it's like a it's an illustration on the cover it's like a cute illustrated cover 
I like how the the style of romance covers is moving more towards illustration now and less of like the you know Fabio, Fabio <laughs> you know like horse on the cover. I don't know. Um, so, but the cover doesn't necessarily really represent very well like the book and the anyways. Um, but it's is there cute. A horse it's a blue in the book. Yes, there is a horse in the book. Um, but the cover is like, it's a blue horse and like a man is riding the horse and the woman is also riding the horse. And what did the cover of your book look like? Mine seemed to be a, a newer edition and it just had like a little red pony mm. kind of on a cliff or something. Um, but it's just this little red horse and it was, it was also illustrated. It was like, it's a very graphic looking cover. Yeah. Yeah, I think book covers right now are just so good. Anyways, so this uh, is the first in a series that's, I think, the second book book out this year called A League of Extraordinary Women. And, of course, you know, I don't know, you probably don't read romance novels, right? (laughs) Other than that Amish romance I read (laughs) for the challenge. Oh, boy. Um, but like a lot of what, uh, romance writers do is they'll like have like a character, you know, the romantic pairing for their group, for their book. And then like partway through the book, there's like a, a character introduced and then like another character introduced. And it's like, you know, they're background characters or side characters, but you know, like that the next book is going to be about them. Uh, that's like pretty standard um so definitely like you know by the end of this book like who the the setup of the next one is i think it might have even had like a little um like teaser in the back anyways but these are it's historical fiction so it takes place in england in 1879 and the main character is um a young woman named annabelle and she is a, a vicar's daughter. And so she's not like, I don't know, like class stuff in England at the time. I guess that would have been like, you know, lower middle class. And, um, but there's like hints that there was some sort of scandal she was involved in. And you learn like late in the book what that was. But, um, her, she didn't have like a brother. Her father dies. So she's kind of like at the mercy of her cousin who inherits like all the stuff. And, um, he treats her like a servant in his house, but she, um, <laughs> ends up getting accepted to go to Oxford as like one of the first, uh, female students there and kind of has to convince her cousin like that it's, you know, okay for her to do that because it'll make him look good if, you know, she's educated. Um, so she's doing that and her sponsor for the college and the person, people who are helping pay her bills is like a suffragist group. And so as part of her, um, work, she has to like volunteer with these suffragists, um, and they like, you know, petition in front of the parliament and they're trying to get this bill passed or trying to not get a bill passed. There was a thing at the time where it's like only landowners could vote. And there was like a bill 
going through Parliament that would make it so if a woman married a man and she owned property, then the property would become his property, and then she would lose any potential right to vote that they were also working for. So it was also like a way for the government, even if they granted women the vote, to continue to make it so they couldn't vote because they would lose their property as soon as they got married. So they're trying not to get this passed. And so they're petitioning in the beginning of the book, like outside of the thing, and they're supposed to just like go up to the men and be like, please vote in our interests. <laughs> and so, so she goes up to this guy and talks to him, and everyone's like, oh, I can't believe you talked to this guy, the Duke of Montgomery. He's like so powerful, and he's cold, and he's like, um, he's divorced, which is very scandalous. They, he disappeared, his ex-wife, they say. <laughs> and um, it was real ballsy of you to even try to talk to him. They don't say ballsy. <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> Bollocksy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyways, so that's like their first interaction. And... Uh, of course, that's, like, going to be the romance line. So the the suffragist group um, decides, like, as part of their strategy that um, they're going to be making these, like, profiles of all, like, the men that they need to convince to vote on their um, side. And as part of that, they're going to send, like, a little contingent to his, like, fancy estate for some party that his younger brother is throwing um, so they can, like, get the dirt on him. Um, and so they arrange to go to this party while he's out of town. He's, like, in charge of his younger brother, and his brother's, like, in college, and he's kind of, like, a gadabout, and they have, like, a rough relationship. But anyway, so she and her friends are at this party, and they think that he's gone, and then she's, like, reading a book in the library, and he comes in, and he thinks that, like, she's his brother's, like, tapped woman, and he's like, get out of my house. You disgust me. She gets mad, and so she leaves, and it's, like, snowing. It's, like, winter. Um, and then he realizes that he was, like, a jerk, and so he goes after her on his horse. This is where the horse part comes oh, in. Oh, all right. And so uh, she's, like, and he brings a horse for her to ride, and he's, like, you can't, like, walk away in this storm. You're going to die. And she's, like, leave me alone. <laughs> um, and he's, like, just get on this horse and come back. And I'm sorry that I was such a jerk. And it's like the first man to like, ever have apologized to her in her entire life. So she's like a little one over by this, but she can't ride a horse. Um, so of course she has to ride his horse. And that's where like the chemistry starts. <laughs> Anyways, um, she does end up getting sick from her like running out into the snow for a few hours. And has to stay at his estate for several weeks, of course. <laughs> and uh, then the whole the whole plot line of like women getting the vote and stuff is abandoned for <laughs> this uh, romance to happen, which is fine. And um, so she stays there, and they like become friends. And she gets invited to some like Christmas party, and everyone is gossiping. About them, but he has to like marry, you know, some titled woman to like, he's trying to get his castle back. His dad was like a drunk and he gambled away their ancestral seat, this crumbling castle. <laughs> so he's trying to get that back. And of course, like, 
they couldn't actually be together because of their class differences. Um, but everybody's gossiping about them. And then he asks her to be his mistress. And she's like, excuse me? And that's like the conflict. Um, so she's like, I will never be your mistress. I am trying to have like a life here and get an education and stuff. Um, that wouldn't be possible if I was just going to be your mistress. And he's like, well, I can't marry you because you're nobody. Um, so they seem to really be at a crossroads. And there was kind of a moment, even though it's a romance novel, and obviously it's going to end with them getting together where it wouldn't be a romance novel, where I'm like, maybe they're all going to end up together. Like, they really, you know, can't resolve this. But, of course, in the end, he's like, oh, and because, like, he, the queen has asked him to, like, um, do the like campaign for the Tories. I don't remember the political parties of England at the time. That sounds good to me. (laughs) uh, And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll make sure we win. But they're against like, you know, women voting and stuff like that. So he has that conflict too, but he makes this big scene where he supports their bill and is like, I'm going to marry you, even though you're, the vicar's daughter and she's like okay actually no that's not what she says she's like no that would ruin your prospects and you'd never get your castle back and everyone would gossip and then and then kind of there's this part where i'm like oh my god girl like is this book over yet there's been several conflicts already just get together and have it be over um so i think it did drag on like a little bit too long but overall i did really enjoy it um it kind of reminded me of like the 20 pages in jane eyre the part where Mr. Rochester has a party and everybody thinks he's going to be like marrying this rich lady and he makes her think that makes Jane think that, but then he's like, actually, I love you and I want to marry you <laughs> before she finds out about, you know, the wife that he's been keeping in his attic and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I do need to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, that part of the party where they're having like, they're like little, like, secret interactions and like there's like chemistry going on there it was like this book took that part and made it like the whole book oh it kind of felt that way too plus added some you know other stuff in there that make it more of a contemporary romance in that like a romance that would be written now not like it takes place now anyways i would recommend it i think if you like I, sometimes I have a hard time reading, like, historical romances because I don't like the way that they talk. Um, I find that, like, especially, like, Scottish romances, that the way that they write the accents and stuff, like, distracting. And um, It took me, like, a little bit to get into it because of that. Um, but I did end up liking it. So I think how did, you like a romance. Well, how did they settle that? Like, if she was reluctant to marry him because he would <laughs> would lose his he castle. Said, okay, so there's this whole scene. So the whole thread of a book, he's telling his little brother that he needs to get in shape because he's his heir, and if something happened to him, he keeps saying, I fall off my horse and break my neck. This whole thing is, like, your responsibility. All these people and all of our tenants and stuff, um, that's going to be a responsibility, and he doesn't want his brother 
to mismanage everything the way that their father had because he spent the last 10 years or whatever, like cleaning up the mess that his father made. Their father drowned in a puddle because he was such a drunk. <laughs> like he passed out, drowned in a puddle. So he's really worried that his brother is going to turn out like their dad did. And um, so uh, after his brother throws this party and he was like out of town and he comes back and he's mad at his brother for throwing the party. He just told him not to throw a party. He signs him up for the Navy. His brother doesn't want to go into the Navy. So he runs away. And anyway, so while his brother runs away, then they kind of like have their thing where like she won't marry him and, whatever, or he won't, whatever. Anyways, he's riding on his horse, the same horse from the beginning of the book. The matchmaker. Yeah, he gets thrown from the horse and has, like, a near-death moment in his mind. He's fine. Um, and that's where he's like, I don't care about the castle. I don't mm-hmm. care about the gossip. I only care about Annabelle. So he decides, and he doesn't care what the queen's going to say about it. So he decides um, to give it all up, except for not really. Like, so he doesn't get his castle. He still is, like, a duke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got tons of money, tons of power. Like, I don't know. I did find the part where he's, like, acting like, you know, he doesn't have all of the power to be, like, a bit much. He's like, I, like, couldn't marry you because, like, what would that look like? It's like, it doesn't matter what it looks like because you're rich and powerful. You can do whatever you want, and you're a man. So, uh, <laughs> you got to get that castle, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I grassy do want my old pile of rocks. Yeah. I wish my dad hadn't gambled away the castle. It'd be easier <laughs> if you'd be my mistress. Then I could have everything I want and not have to give up anything. And she was <laughs> like, no thanks. <laughs> Was it, is this a, a British author? Um, that's a good question. Let me click. I was just wondering, because, like, I, I mean, I I don't have, like, intimate knowledge of this, but I know, you know, all that British class system stuff where, for us, we're like, that's, what? But for them, it's, like, so, like, hardcore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if I don't yeah, get castle, I'm <laughs> nothing. Yeah. As an American, I'm unsympathetic. With the plight of the ancestral castle and the what will the queen think of the woman I marry. But uh, (laughs) I'm like, get over it, man. Yeah. Um, So it says that she lives in Europe now, but it doesn't say if she's from there originally or not. So... Hard to say. She is in her author photo wearing a hat that would suggest that she's not American. (laughs) Man. (laughs) You know what I mean? She kind of looks like a Victorian Canadian author. (laughs) It's, you know, like a, like a Victorian style, like Anne of Green Gables hat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And she's wearing kind of like a high-necked, like, lace blouse. I'm sure that's just the look she's going for because of, like, the time period she's writing in and all of that stuff. Yeah, and then the next book is going to be about, um, like, the leader of the suffragettes, suffragettes, and she, like, lives alone scandalously. 
Um, and her romance is going to be with this, like, handsome and charming scoundrel type of guy who hits on Annabelle at the Christmas party in this book, or maybe it was a New Year's party, that, like, really made the Duke be like, she's mine. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't say here either where she is from. Mm. Well, and she's a member of the British Romance Novelist Association, and now she lives in Berlin. Huh. Sounds like she's, yeah. She's a woman of the world. That's right. So, yeah. That's the book I read. Will I read the second one? I probably would. Oh. I know sometimes it's like I make fun of the romance novels because they're silly, but I really do enjoy reading them. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that the discussions we've had about spoilers and how, like, even if you pick up a romance and you can guess, you know, <laughs> what's yeah, going like, to happen Yeah, like, that's end. the thing of the genre. It's like you read it because you know it's going to end, like, with a happily ever after. Yeah. If you wanted to read some, like, tragic story, you wouldn't pick that. Next. Yeah. But, yeah, if it's good enough, it doesn't matter, you know, if you know how it ends. or Yeah, it's the journey. Yeah, it is the journey. Well, I guess I need to read Jane Eyre. You do need to read Jane Eyre. Is that considered a romance? No. Well, I mean, like, maybe. You should just read it and let me know if you think that it is one. Okay. (laughs) Because the book is really about, it's about Jane specifically and not, like, definitely there's, like, a romance element to it. But that's not, like, the the main part of the book. It kind of sounds like Eleanor Oliphant. So, remind me about the part. It's because it's been, like, a couple of years since I read Eleanor Oliphant. Um, what is she thinking about when she reads Jane Eyre? She, it's described as though she has read it a million times. And so she can, she just likes to pick it up and start reading at any point. Mm-hmm. And the part in the book when she reads it, it almost feels like a prophecy, kind of. Like, oh, I happen to be in this part of the story. I wonder if that's, that kind of seems like what I'm experiencing sort of deal. So her familiarity with it is great. But that, in, in her story, you know, that story's mostly about mm-hmm. her, but it does have like a romantic yeah, like, thread through it. Mm-hmm. That's not the focus, mm-hmm. really. It just ha- It's just a part of the plot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll um, have to read Jane Eyre, I guess. Yes, I guess. you should. <laughs> I guess you should. After you finish Grant. Put that on your list. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could find a way that that would fit in your reading challenge somehow. I should take a look at the list. My challenge is to enjoy as much reading for enjoyment before school <laughs> is that'll be a great challenge yeah great for your I, challenge. right now i'm doing i'm doing good that made me think of what you're talking about the Ele- eleanor reading that book so i listen to sometimes i'm not not a great like loyal listener of any podcast um but there's this one podcast called harry potter and the sacred text and they read harry potter as a sacred text and so they go it's like two the two people who read it are I 
I mean, not, they're not students anymore, but they went to like the Harvard School of Divinity and they are chaplains and they're both, I think they are both atheists. So they're like non-religious chaplains and study like religion and religious practices. And so they are, read through this, the books, they go like chapter by chapter each episode, like reading it as in like the traditions that people use to read sacred texts, like the, like the Bible and the Talmud and, and stuff like that. And um, it's like really interesting. So they take the book like really seriously and they read on like a theme, like friendship or negligence or honesty or whatever. And one of the two hosts of the podcast, What's her name? I'll put it in the show notes. Um, she came upon this project because her thesis for school was about reading Jane Eyre as a sacred text. And so she had like that practice of like you were talking about with Eleanor of just like picking the book up and like turning to a passage and reading that and letting it like kind of speak to her life and using it as like a way to reflect on like the things going on in her life and like the lessons to learn and stuff like that and she's written like some articles about it that I found um like really interesting especially when they talk about the wife character and kind of what it represented at the time anyways you should read it and then I'll talk to you more about it so I don't spoil things for you <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll do a special Jane Eyre your shelf yeah <laughs> wow let's do it okay I'm going to put it on the calendar. Uh-oh. I'd like to reread Jane Eyre. Um, so for the next few episodes of the podcast, what I'm going to be doing is um, having different people from staff come on. So don't worry. You won't have to, like, come back right away and get quizzed about whether or not you read Jane Eyre. But um, Jennifer's going to do one. Austin's going to do one. Angela and Jacob. Um, I know those characters for sure will be coming on in the next few weeks. I'm not sure exactly what we'll be talking about just yet, but we're working that out. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, mm-hmm. We Do you have anything it. else to say? <laughs> <laughs> the I do have one thing to say. Okay. I skipped over this in my notes of the Red Pony, but there's a funny passage about Billy Buck soaking a piece of toast in his coffee and that just kind of blew my mind <laughs> like wow did people actually do that yeah so that's the last thing i have to say <laughs> did you try it no i don't i don't think it would be good like soaking it yeah <laughs> like soaking up some coffee in his toast and then eating it you should try it yeah well maybe yeah i need some bread <laughs> yeah there's definitely been things like i've read in books and then tried i can't think of anything right now do you ever read like a like someone's dialogue in a book and then it, it's described as being said in a certain way and then do you ever try to like act out, like say it in the way that it's described? Like give me an example. If it, it it'll you know, like um Jody looked to his father and timidly said, Are you sure that my cult's going to be okay? 
and mm-hmm. you'll read that and then be like, oh, I wonder what it sounds like to say something timidly. And then <laughs> usually, try it out. Yeah, but usually it's more fun, like it's a word, like a more unusual descriptive mm-hmm. word or something. I, anyway, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my soaking toast and coffee. <laughs> um, I mean, probably. I've probably done that. I think, was it this... Bringing down the Duke book, there was one book I was reading recently where I was, like, kind of having a hard time, like, getting into it. But I knew that if I started, I would. No, it was uh, it was Louise Erdrich's newest book, which is The Night Watchman, which Booker will be reviewing soon. But I was like, you know, she's one of my favorite authors. I knew I'd really like the book. But... I just, like, needed to get into it. And so I read, like, the first four chapters, like, out loud to my dogs. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. They don't care. But uh, it did kind of help me get into it. Huh. So sometimes I do that. Yeah. It's fun to read out loud sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't necessarily get – I mean, I guess I do because I read – Story time and stuff, but um, for yeah, for longer books, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to do it very often unless you just do it. Do you read it out loud to your cats? No, I I do not. Um, Other than every once in a while finding a passage that, like, I just want to read or pronounce a word or, like, (laughs) be like, oh, I wonder, like, how would that, how does that? If you were to act that out, what would that look like kind of thing? Sometimes, too, if there's, like, a character who has a weird name and it's, like, hard for me to remember how to say their name, I'll say it out loud, like, every time I come across it until, like, I really can say it (laughs) right in my mind. Um, I was thinking, so years ago, did you ever read Serafina? So Serafina was the first book in that, like, world that the author wrote. It has more dragons in it than Tass of the Road does. But I do like Tass of the Road is like really a character driven book and it's about her like processing this trauma for like four hundred pages, which I really I like that a lot. But Serafina is more of like there's like a murder mystery and there's like court intrigue and also she happens to be half dragon and that's a secret. Um but anyways, my point was that several years ago I drove down to California to visit some relatives with my parents and my brother, and I read that book, like, out loud on the drive down there, which was really fun. And there'd be times where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to, like, stop reading. Uh, my brother would be like, no, just one more chapter. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, Fred Savage in <laughs> Princess Bride. <laughs> but that has a lot of hard-to-pronounce, like, you know, fake dragon words and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> like, at least, at least I could try to remember how I said it last time. <laughs> so yeah, consistency like, is the key, even if it's... Yeah, <laughs> even if it's wrong. <laughs> you should be test of the road. <laughs> well, I gotta read Jane Eyre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. I have a stack of books. I, uh, I got The Warmth of Other Suns. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. That, that one's big. And mm-hmm. and I try, I'm trying to do, like, have a 
whether like ha- always have an audiobook and a reading book going and trying to make one of them nonfiction and one of them fiction. That's what like I'm doing grants my audiobook now and I'm I was gonna read Hundred Years of Solitude. I've never read that. Yeah. Um, that was one I read right after college too. That do you what do you think about it? I don't remember a lot about it. I remember there being like I feel like there's like butterflies in it. What if I remember another book? You know, it's like this this long like family saga that's also like magical realism. Yeah. So it's like there's already tons of characters, but now there's also all of these like butterflies. Yeah. And then they turn into butterflies and you know, the butterfly touched the uh, twenty years later the next generation and they turned, you know, into salt. Like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like it what you know, I don't really remember that much yeah. about it. It's I don't remember was- loving it. Yeah, um, but I remember pl- like plugging away at it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's it's one of those where I, I like it's one of my good friend's favorite books, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those where I'm I got it in our dollar sale yeah. like probably two years ago, and put it on my nightstand and then <laughs> never opened it. So I was like, oh, yeah. I should read that. Like, so yeah, I'm. I'm going to get – I will read Jane Eyre, though. I I vow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. But, yeah, uh, The Hundred Years of Solitude, it's not like, you know, like like Water for Chocolate, where that's just, like, really, like, an easy, like, read, but also very, like, good, and it's got lots of stuff going on. But because it focuses just, like, kind of on the one girl and her relationships, I really love that one. So, like, compared to that, like, it's much more of, like, difficult book to read, I thought. Yeah. But it's been a long time since I read it, so I don't know yeah, how Sometimes it depends. It uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like, the time. Because that's why I'm, like, I bet if I read East of Eden now, I would yeah. get much more out of it than mm-hmm. 23-year-old Daniel. Yeah. Just being like, I'm going to read the classics. <laughs> <laughs> I like that 23-year-old Daniel has a deeper voice than you do now. (laughs) 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 Uh, My book club is going to be rereading Twilight. Oh. Yeah. Of the new new Twilight book. So that'll be different. Saga. Um, Probably just the first book. But we'll see what how I feel. Maybe I'll get the Jones for the rest of the series. I bet, I bet you can really burn through those if you, you know, in like into it. And mm-hmm. They seem like they're real page turners. Yeah, I re- I've only read those books one time. And, uh, yeah, I remember definitely like when I read Twilight, I read it in a single day. And I kind of, like, I've been working at Barnes & Noble when it's, like, really becoming really popular. And it's, like, everyone was buying it and everyone was reading it. And um, I kind of put it off reading it for a long time. And then I had some friends that were, like, Twilight. And I was, like, fine. And then <laughs> I was, like, okay. But, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, speaking of, 
you know, what, how old would I have been then? 21, 22, probably 22. What 22-year-old Becky really liked about Twilight, I felt still like it. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes there's books where it's like, I love this book and it's going to be like still something I love now, but maybe like in a different way, like, yeah. like Jane, which I read like the first time when I was probably like in middle school and I've read a lot of times since then and really loved it every time. And there's other books where you're like, I don't know if I want to read this. Like, what if I don't like it anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That some are so tied to nostalgia or like experiencing it for the first time that it's hard to get back into it. And mm-hmm. yeah, but I feel, and I feel like with a hundred years of solitude that that's one that maybe people like, cause you can return to it. And it's like so dense that it's like, Oh, now I'm, it means this to me. And then you could mm-hmm. read it 10 years later and be like, okay, I'm extracting this yeah. out of it mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I remember, like, reading a list somewhere, and it was, like, books to not read until you're, like, at this age, um, which I thought was kind of, like, an interesting concept. <laughs> like, yeah. don't try, bo- you know, don't bother trying to read this book in your 20s, because you won't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think I've heard that about War and Peace a lot, where it's, like, until you're oh, old. Okay. Like, <laughs> War and Peace won't be as meaningful. Yeah, that's definitely why I haven't read <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just when, talk when are we supposed to read Moby Dick? What's the... <laughs> uh, you know my theory of Moby Dick. That no one's read it. That no one has read it. <laughs> oh... My, uh, uh, advisor, my college advisor would be so disappointed in me for saying that. I think that's one of those, Moby Dick is like something, if I was on a road trip or something, and just kind of a captive audience. In a car. Yeah. Yeah. Because it probably, I bet if you get, like, three hours into it, then you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. This is the time. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get this white whale. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I could try to read it. I've never really tried. Maybe that should just be part of, like, the um, the 2021 reading challenge. Because, like, I don't know how that would fit. Just put Moby Dick on there. Yeah. <laughs> Something by Herman Melville. <laughs> <laughs> A book you're pretty sure no one has ever read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this always makes me think of the Far Side cartoon where he he's like uh, has a piece of paper and it's like, call me. <laughs> Eric, and he crosses out. <laughs> it's like a whole line of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I wish I wish there were more Farsides. He made he's he came out with like three new ones. Three yeah. new Farsides. Yeah, on the, on that website they launched, and he was saying that um, he wrote a little thing 
to basically be like, I'm not going to do this regularly. <laughs> but he was saying like a few years ago. Excited. Yeah. Like this isn't going to be weekly, but he did say that a few years ago, he just started messing around with drawing on like a tablet. And then I guess he got really into it and he was like, Oh, I, I can make some cartoons with this. So there are like digital. Wow. Yeah. They're they're good. Okay. He's he's still <laughs> he's still got it. Yeah, he's still there's no one like him. I'll have to look that side. Yeah. Okay. Anything else now? That's that's all I got. Go to go to our YouTube channel. Oh yeah. Um, if you go to uh, the library us on YouTube. Yeah. If you go to the library's website, right. I think under about there's a link to YouTube. And got a bunch of videos, and Becky's doing these awesome craft videos right now that'll go through the summer, a new one each week, and then we're we'll come up with more content as we as we go along. But yeah, that's that's my promotional <laughs> endeavor right You're, now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need a hundred subscribers. Yes. Uh, yeah, hundred subscribers and then it can become its own URL and not some like weird youtube.com forward slash xyqhh9 pound sign exclamation mark yeah yeah that's hard for me to put on a poster (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody well uh, thanks to Daniel and I also want to thank Daniel for continuing to edit the podcast and also for editing all our YouTube stuff too He's a really good awesome. editor, and uh, we appreciate you. Oh, thank you. It's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Daniel. Bye-bye. Bye. Studio time for Your Shelf or Mine is donated by KLOG, Cooking Country, and 101.5 The Wave. We at the Longview Public Library thank our local stations for their ongoing support. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McEldry from A Song for You. Find Megan on Facebook or Twitter at Meg McEldry or online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry. Where's my notebook? Which one? Am I right? Oh, that's right.